But enough from me. Um, it's great to have uh, with us um, Vinnie Commons and um, Joe Kirby. We love them greatly. And of course, they so often are on the forefront of uh, the spiritual battle. They go out onto the streets and there they're evangelizing. We've asked them to talk about uh, evangelism on the streets. So I think it's first of all over to Vinnie and then a little later, Joe. Vinnie. Um, here is, are we, are we there? We are now. We do not have a problem, Houston. Um, we've listened about books and what you can buy, but this is from the book of books. Romans chapter 10. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they've not heard and believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, we're about evangelism tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And whether you're doing one-to-one -one evangelism, whether you're doing, uh, if you like, public evangelism in sometimes a lonely precinct where there's lots of people, or whether you're inside doing outreach or whether you're doing outside outreach, we want it all. So we're all for outreaching as best we can. And um, to that end, the association have been organising and running Go Days, which you'll probably hear more about. But I want to speak this evening on encouragements to reach people, encouragements to reach people. But I feel a little bit like the little boy and his mum said, why are you jumping up and down? And he said, well, mummy, I've taken my medicine, but I forgot to shake the bottle. <laughs> and there's so much going on this. So I want to just speak on very quickly uh, encouragements to reach. Number one. We have Bible examples. Why are we doing what we're doing? Answer, we have many Bible examples. Jeremiah, Jonah, Noah, Peter, John the Baptist, Paul, and then the Lord Jesus himself on the mountain and in the boats, on the lakes, etc. Everybody through the scripture is sharing the gospel. So we've got a fantastic encouragement there. Now, what is our aim? Well, our aim, of course, is to win people for Jesus. Why is he who wins souls? And if you remember the words of John the Baptist or it said of him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. And then it says, and those who heard him speak followed Jesus. So the aim was to follow Jesus, not to follow John. And as the gospel was shared and as we share the gospel, we want people to follow Jesus. Well, let's have some encouragement. Number one, then. Don't be intimidated. You have got every right to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. David Shepherd, the Welsh evangelist, used to quote Psalm 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, the oxygen that we are breathing tonight, whether we're in Russia, America or whether in England, or wherever, is ki by kind permission of Jesus Christ. He's holding the tap of the oxygen to our system. And he's also holding the tap of the oxygen to the non-Christian. And we live in his universe. He created all things. And we are guests in his universe. And ladies and gentlemen, you and me can have every right to preach the gospel. Do not be intimidated. I remember once I did a mission at a university somewhere in the central of England, center of England, and the morning prayer meeting at seven o'clock with the Christian Union was opposite 
the chaplain's office and we were praying and one day he popped his head on head in, and he said I'm right behind the mission but when I took this job I told them I wouldn't share the gospel with people and I thought woe is me if I do not preach the gospel of Christ but we should be those on the front foot so let's be those who are going out confidently the other thing to say is always remember the gospel is the power of God Romans 1 verse 16 I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God in your study or room that you're in now you've got a light if you turn that light on by courtesy of a switch it comes on and goes off the power is there the power is not in you it's not in your finger the power is there and as we share about the Lord Jesus in the precincts or one-to-one or book tables ladies and gentlemen the power is there and it's tremendous and as Spurgeon said do not defend a lion unleash it so we shouldn't be intimidated at all remember too that Christ is with you and when you're preaching the gospel you're not alone and I would say to you bring your best game Bring your best game to the table, so to speak. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we are to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And we're to preach the word. So we've got to study people. If we're going to convince them, we've got to study them. And we've got to think about what they, that they're saying. So when we're sharing the gospel, one of the things we've got to do is listen very carefully to the people's questions now let me ask you a question have you ever thought that you can listen with your eyes that's where you go eyeball to eyeball not nose to nose you'll notice but eyeball to eyeball looking at them we do observe uh, distance at the moment but here's the point you're observing them thinking listening not just with your heart and your ears but with your eyes it's always a great tip and we should listen to what they've got to say and that means that if you're not given to be public speaking so you're not the voice box at the front you still got a massive role to play that's why we should promote street work because it's all to do with the team the strength of the team is not the chap at the front the strength of the team is the team and a good street preacher or a good street worker in an open air context will play into the hands of his team okay and that means we're listening we're looking out for people and then we've got to be careful that we don't kill a golden conversation for many years now I've done street work and I've seen people listen for let's say three four five minutes and then somebody bless them goes up to them and we want that gives them a little leaflet and they walk away and there goes a million pound conversation you see you've got to have enough courage to say look them in the eye and say thank you very much for stopping what did you think of all that and let them open and let them tell you what they were thinking that means that you'll smile 
Do you know when you smile, it says to the world, you're welcome to my space. When you're frowned, it says, push off, mate. So you've got to smile, not an artificial smile. But when you smile, you're saying welcome. Try it, the next group of people that you meet. Somebody's got friendly eyes. They come up, they smile. They're saying to you, welcome. We've got to be those people in street work, one-to-one or in group. And we're smiling and we're not only just smiling, we say welcome. And then we're able to ask those big questions. Now, here's another big tip. Love people, not preaching. Warren Wisby used to say, do you love people or do you love preaching? So it's freezing cold and you're in the middle of some city in wherever you are, let's say Chicago, Jonathan's in Chicago. And you've got your 20 minute talk and it's minus five degrees. (laughs) How about that? Everybody's freezing. In fact, there's nobody there because you didn't think about the people who were freezing. So think how you're going to curtail everything to the people. And if you really want to be good at street work, simply ask the question, how many were there when I kicked off my talk? And how many were there when I ended my talk? Some days it's hard going. The open air guys will tell you all this. It's very hard going. But nevertheless, we don't want to make it harder, do we, for ourselves? (laughs) So we've got to be those. We love people. We care for people. We're not just shouting Bible verses. In fact, what we're doing is we're going to have a loud conversation. So what I try to do is I try to interact with people. And I try and start by asking them questions. So I'll, I'll just try and show you a chill. I don't know if you can. Can you see this, Roger? Can you see that? Right. Now, this is my children's address. Which one of these people are most likely to become a Christian? Ready? Mr. Nonsense. Mr. Slow. Mr. Busy. Mr. Perfect, Mr. Wrong. And what you do is you say, now, which one of them do you think is most likely to become a Christian? It's a children's address. I use that in church, but I can adapt it for outside. And then I say, but you've got to also got to tell me why. Because if they think you've got to be good to be a Christian, they'll say Mr. Perfect, won't they? But if they understand Mr. Wrong, Mr. Wrong's in business because Jesus only came for sinners. Some people are too good to become Christians. So I try and do something that interacts with people all the time. Ask them questions. Open them up. Then when people talk to you, remember this big rule. Just say to them, why do you believe what you believe? Tell me why you believe what you believe. You see, people want to be listened to. People want you to give them time. Because you love people, you'll give them time. Look at the life of Jesus. Do you remember blind Bartimaeus? He shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the world said to him, Shut up. Jesus stood still 
as though the world stood still at that moment. Bring that man to me. Listen to his question. What would you like me to do for you? That's an incredible question from the son of God to a blind beggar, isn't it? He had time. Give people time. Okay. And then use their arguments to to, to not turn them on themselves in a critical way. But think it like this. Over in Inskip in Lancashire, uh, David, uh, one of our great uh, supporters, is the minister. And on the side of the church, he's got a fantastic poster. This is what it says. God does not believe in atheists, but they exist. So somebody says to you, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. As though the conclusion is because I don't believe in God, God doesn't exist. Well, that turns it back on itself. God does not believe in atheists, but they do exist. In other words, use people's arguments to bring about their thinking to, on a good um, on a good point. Okay. The next thing you've got to know the scriptures. So we've got to know the word of God. And that's because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And in Ephesians chapter six, it says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we've got to use that sword, haven't we? The sharp two edged sword of the word of God. We use it. So I find that I try and ask people lots of questions when I'm on one to one. And I listen for ages. And then I'll ask them a question which includes the word of God. Now, you know, when Jesus said you must have a second birth, what do you think he meant? Have you got one birth or two? And so what you're doing is you're getting the word of God into their hearts. They won't remember Lord's. But if you can just present them with that one big question. You must be born again. What do you think about that then? It gets through to them. So no scripture quoted. Okay. And then I'd say to you this. Bat on the wicket of conscience. You see, we've had some great seminars on here and they're very, very useful because we want to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And we've learned about um, the apologetics. Why do we believe there is a God anyway? When the world tells us there isn't and the TV tells us we've all evolved from sludge. What, why? But what you need to come down to, I think, is this. And this is what I say to them. Now, for all your atheism, I want to ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that if there was a God, he wouldn't be happy with? You see, that hits the conscience. What's the work of the Holy Spirit? Answer, he shall convince the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. And when the prodigal left his pigsty and went to his father, he didn't say, I've been sat in my pigsty feeling down and I've worked out that you exist. So I've come home. He said, I have sinned. Didn't he? Against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy. So use the apologetics. We want that. But to me, the ace card is get him on the conscience. Because when a man knows he's a sinner, then he cries out for a saviour. Only a sick man 
goes to a doctor and it's so true okay now remember this big rule as well you're there to catch fish not tickle them in other words go out thinking today could well be the day when somebody becomes a real christian you see i'm wanting them to have faith in jesus christ but i haven't got faith myself because i'm not believing he's going to do it so what you've got to do is you go out trusting they'll become christians let me read this man's testimony see if you know who it is a young man in the states while walking down the street he heard an open-air preacher on a busy street corner if you do not know how to be saved just call on god saying lord be merciful to me a sinner he went home that day to his attic sanctuary he prayed that god would save him and when he came down from the attic he left the world's side a new creature aw toza akron aoi in the states he was out there he'd left the dunlop factory walked down the street a german preacher who couldn't pronounce his word he said if you don't know how to be saved go home get on your knees and ask god to save you you see folk that man probably went home that day thinking we've had a lousy time do you know how many books jonathan aw tozer has sold well the publishers have sold an awful lot he's blessed my life read anything by tozer but then also um try and use everyday terms and get interest stories probably the most powerful story i've heard recently i don't know if you can see this this is caroline fleck that is her picture she was one of our um celeb stars in the uk listen to her suicide note now the moment i use suicide note the world sits up to listen especially in the precincts listen to what she put the problem with brushing things under the carpet is they are still there and one day somebody is going to lift that carpet up and all you're going to feel is shame and embarrassment caroline fleck in other words she was admitting wouldn't she there's things in my life people are going to find out and that's one of the reasons why people don't want to come to the light but what we've got to do is use all these things interest stories to um put them into our sermons now i've got three minutes okay um I, I would say to you that if people show interest try and introduce them to good fellowships and if you're in street work try and build up a team you're very vulnerable if you go up to put and talk to people in the streets because people can criticize you or they can accuse you and it's a lot of wisdom to have a camera with you on the board or whatever you're doing and go in pairs the lord jesus sent people out in pairs but i'd say um try and introduce people to a bible-based godly fellowship and try and encourage them people to build up in your team so you're not alone and the beauty of it is the work in months years to come can multiply now can i just close off by saying this if i was choosing how i would like to leave this world i think number one i'd like to go fast asleep and die in my sleep that's what i'm to my auntie at 52. um 
I don't mind, I suppose, being shot as long as I don't know the bullet's coming. But I hope the fella's a good shot, okay? I don't be lame for life. But I'll tell you what I wouldn't like. I wouldn't like a spear, a crown of thorns. I wouldn't like to be whipped with a Roman whip. Have my beard and flesh plucked and my back like a, a field plowed. I wouldn't like that. But from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness fell across the face of the world. What happened in the light was a picnic to what God did to Jesus in the dark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I hear many people try and explain the cross and I think they miss the ace card. My God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments, when, when that darkness lifted, the people who went to watch the crucifixion, all it said was they beat their breasts and returned. I remember I was travelling through Bradford in the Bradford fire disaster. It must have been 20, 30 years ago. And it said on the report on the Yorkshire news that something like, I don't know, 96 people had died. And then the following day, it said 95 had died. And so the reporter said to somebody, he said, um, well, you said 96 yesterday, why 95? And the man said, well, what we thought was a human being has turned out to be plastic. But he said it's very difficult for us to tell the difference between burnt plastic and these charred bodies. When the darkness lifted, what sin had done to Jesus Christ broke people. Your sin was laid on him. I, I think that's what we've got to tell them. And the resurrection. He's conquered death. It is finished. The curtains rent ascender. Enter. You're only a prayer away. Two or three days ago, uh, sorry, weeks ago now, I was wondering whether to do an open air at distance. So we, we did one and it meant that we spoke up a little bit because people were distance. And at the end, a disheveled woman came. She was called Geordie. She was 54. She said, no, I've been searching for this for many years. And I said, Geordie, it's a gift. It's here. The gift of God's eternal life. Do you want it? And then I said, on a scale of one to ten, how serious are you? That get rid of the time wasters, by the way. On a scale of one to ten, how serious are you? And she said, no, I want it. And a Christian man was passing. I didn't feel right to pray with the lady. So I brought him in, a friend of mine, and she prayed to ask God to forgive her. You see, folks, <laughs> I've got to have the faith. I want her to have the faith. I've got to have the faith to say, God, you can do it. Can these bones live? Yes. And so we should pray, preach the gospel and expect. My time has gone. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Finney. We will we will come back. We've um, please feel free to be texting questions or doing them via Slido. But that was very helpful. And and I think we're always moved when we consider the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us out of love for us. But thanks. I'm going to hand over now to Joe Kirby. I know there are a number of I've looked at a number of people who work in the open air. It's great to see. You. It's wonderful work to be out there where the people are. But but Joe, uh, let's hear from you if we can. Can you hear me now? Yeah. 
Great. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's a real privilege to be here tonight. Uh, it's, I'm really grateful to be able to uh, share this space with Vinnie Commons because uh, Vinnie's the guy who trained me. And Roger said, just mention something about Off the Curb Ministry. So if you want to watch our work at all, just go on YouTube and type in either my name, Joe Kirby, or Vinnie Commons, uh, and you can watch what we get up to there. And how really, that's Kirby? How, sorry. How do we spell Kirby? Uh, Kirby, if you look at my tag here, you can see it there at K-I-R-B-Y. So if, uh, if you want to spell it there. So, yeah, please do check that out. And um, really, I learned a lot from just watching Vinny, really. Uh, and if you watch the likes of Ray Comfort, those kind of guys, I think you'll learn a lot. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to talk about um, what we need to do before the open air, what we need to do during the open air and what we need to do at the end of the open air. So let's start with before. Now, one of the big things that I think puts people off doing open air work is we think, oh, I'm really nervous. I don't think I could do it. I think I'd find it quite difficult. And how do you overcome nerves? Well, I do want you to, to all be uh, very well reassured that when I first started, I was petrified. I, re I mean, I remember uh, Vinny used to say, right, you're going to do a talk next week, Joe. So on Saturday morning, I'd wake up and I'd have this cold sweat and I'd be all nervous. And here we are. I went away. But Here's a little tip for you. I don't know how many of you have ever been uh, swimming in cold water before. Uh, are any, is anyone a fan of swimming in cold water? Well, I'm quite a big fan of that in a place called the Lake District. And if you read magazines or books on cold water swimming, they say that if you do it seven times, eventually the water starts to warm up. Now, obviously, it doesn't literally, but your skin gets used to the cold water. And what happens if you do it over and over again? Suddenly you go to the local swimming leisure centre, you go to the local swimming baths, and that water feels really quite overly hot. It feels too warm. And I think that kind of rule um, can be applied to open air work. So if you say put in your diary seven open airs, so put them in your diary. And then when it comes to about the seventh one, I think you'll suddenly find your nerves will start to, to sort of peter out a little bit and you'll start to find your own feet into it. So the more you do it, uh, the more comfortable you get, really. And the other thing is, is uh, as Vinny was saying before, when you preach Christ, it, it will melt your heart. It'll, it'll do something to you. Uh, and you suddenly start to think, you know, my nerves, they don't matter at all. It doesn't matter about me. It's all about preaching Christ and the love of the Lord Jesus. What's something else we can do when we uh, we do our open air work? Well, uh, uh, think about an athlete. Imagine Mo Farah, he's doing a, a big run, okay? And he needs to warm up, doesn't he? Well, likewise, when you do an open air work, you, you're doing a lot on your voice. And your voice is a muscle and it needs warming up. And um, some people, some speakers, sadly, they've got nodules on their voice and they've damaged it because they haven't warmed the voice up properly. Now, how do you do that? Uh, a little bit of gentle humming. Um, now, advise doing this in your car or at home beforehand. We've had enough street preachers arrested, so we don't want another one being arrested for humming on the street looking like a, a bit of a nutcase. But, yeah, warm it up gently. Try and speak from your uh, belly instead of your voice. So if you if you push against the wall and do this again exercise at home. If you push against the wall and hum, you'll learn to, to, to connect with your breath support and then you'll get a, a deeper voice really when you're preaching. And another big tip is, that of course, drink plenty of water at least four hours before the open air because it needs to get down into, into your voice box and, and keep it nice and well oiled. And then really the, the big thing for all of open air work that we all need to do is we need to pray. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And without him, we, we can't. We're, we're useless. 
I've been on team events before, uh, and let's just say I've seen open-air preachers uh, that might be uh, a little bit unassuming, okay? They're, they're not the most interesting people. But because we've been praying for the open-air, because uh, men and women have, have been lifting them up before the Father, sometimes they're the best open-airs. And you see they get a big crowd, and you think, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is the heavens are open, the blessings are falling down, and God's using that person who's got on his knees and said, Lord Jesus, I need your help now. So if you're not the most, uh, you know, charismatic person, you still can be used, but you need to make sure you're the most prayerful person. OK, what do we do uh, during the open air? So the big question that everyone always asks is, how do you get a crowd? I mean, we remember hearing stories about George Whitfield. He used to have tens of thousands of people listening to him. Uh, John Wesley, again, had big flocks coming to him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon. But now we go into the streets and we see a street preacher with a megaphone and he's ranting, he's raving. Perhaps he's wearing a tweed suit and you sort of think, is this what open air is about? You know, he's not engaging anybody. And all these sorts of connotations come into our minds. But really, I do think there are four ways to, to sort of draw a crowd. But before I tell you those four ways, can I just let you know this? Um, Joe Kirby does not carry revival around in his pocket. And I think Vinny would be the first to tell you that neither does he. We, we don't carry revival around in our pockets. And we've just really, sometimes we have bad days. There's days sometimes where I'll go out and even the seagulls will scorn me. They'll, they, they won't even listen to me. So it's all about learning that it's a craft, just like brick lanes a craft, just like paintings a craft. You just need to sort of put some skills together, but you will have bad days. In a, in a bit, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, Ray Comfort and an interview I had with him last week. But uh, I remember when I was a bit younger, I used to watch Ray Comfort uh, street preaching and it was sort of live stream. So it was completely raw, unedited. And here we are. I see Ray Comfort on the streets. And I remember one specific day at lunchtime, he was there preaching and no one was stopping to listen to him. I hope you won't mind me saying this, but absolutely no one was stopping to listen. And you hear him mutter under his breath. Oh, man, I hate getting a crowd. Sorry, I shouldn't do the accent. But he said, I hate getting a crowd. And then he, uh, he he looked at his friend and he said, Scotty, would you mind getting a crowd for me? And Scotty gets up on the box. He gets a big crowd. And then he hands it over to Ray to go and uh, to do the preaching for him. So, you know, even Ray Comfort uh, struggles to get a crowd sometimes. So uh, if, if you do struggle, remember you're in you're in good company. So here are the four ways to, to try and get a crowd. Number one is the insult them methods. If you go out there and you insult people, if you're really rude, if you're really obnoxious, you will get a big crowd. Now, I hope you can sort of smell the sarcasm in my voice there. That's really not the way uh, we should be trying to do it. Uh, I saw Andy Little on here before, and he's been coming to the sessions. Andy Little works for the Open Air Mission, which is, a, as the, the name suggests, it's an open air preaching organization based here in the UK. And I remember a couple of years ago, I had a great chat with Andy Little about how do we draw a crowd. And Andy Little said one day his wife uh, went into town and she went in shopping. And Andy Little, he's at home, uh, sitting on his sofa, and his wife comes home and says, oh, today, Andy, I saw some uh, open-air preachers in the town centre in Bedford. And he said, how did they do? She said, oh, they got a much bigger crowd than you. And suddenly Andy can sort of feel the jealousy rise in him. Well, what did, they do? what did they do? What were they doing that I wouldn't do? 
And she said, oh, they were hitting all of the hot buttons. They were being so controversial. They were so angry. And this big crowd of people were so angry at them. And she said, when you go there next week, you're going to have to be very gentle and very loving. So that's what, what Andy went to do. And it is true, isn't it? If you touch all of the hot buttons, if you mention abortion, if you uh, comment on the way people are dressed, if their, you know, their attire isn't, isn't becoming, you know, if you comment on uh, homosexuality, you can wind people up. Any idiot, any moron can get a crowd by upsetting people, by offending people. But we're not there to be social activists. We're not there to offend people. We're there to preach Christ and him crucified. And that's something we should always be seeking to do. I remember a, another conversation I had with an open air preacher. And he said to me, he was talking about his backslidden daughter. And he said, if I'm trying to win my daughter uh, back to the Lord, do I shout at her? Do I get, get aggressive with her? Do I pull out all of her faults? No, when I look her in the eyes and I plead with her and I'm tender and I'm compassionate, then she's more ready to engage with me. Then she's more ready for me to speak about the Lord Jesus. Second Timothy uh, chapter two, verses 24 to 25. This is really what I'm trying to say. Uh, and I really think open air preachers need to memorize these verses. It says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. You know, there was a, a church which kept employing uh, street preachers and then sacking them. They got a street preacher to the church. They had him for a couple of weeks and then they sacked him again. And eventually they found the street preacher that they actually really liked and he worked with them for years and years and years. So a local pastor from another church approached the pastor of the church and said, what is it that this street preacher is doing that makes, makes you want to sort of keep him here? And the pastor responded like this. He said, this street preacher preaches about hell like he doesn't want people to go there. And I think very sadly, there are street preachers out there that you wouldn't you would get the impression that. They're so angry and they want people in hell. Now, they don't, obviously, but we need to make sure that that's not coming across in our demeanor. We are to preach repentance. At times, we do need to preach the judgment of God. But we need to do it lovingly, winsomely and with tenderness in our hearts. OK, second way to draw a crowd. That's the, the longest one. Don't panic. Is the purple cow moment. Imagine you and me were walking down a field and we see a black and white cow there, another black and white cow, another one. And then suddenly something catches our eye. There in front of us is a big, fat, purple cow. And you think, well, what's that doing there? It's so purple. It's so, you know, out there that it's impossible to ignore. And likewise, in the streets, sometimes you want to create sort of a spectacle. You want to create something so, wow, a big moment that people just cannot ignore it. So what does this look like? Well, uh, last week I was interviewing Ray Comfort. And uh, Ray said one of the ways he likes to get a crowd, and you've probably seen it on YouTube, is he gives away money. He says, if you get this question right, uh, what's the capital of France? It's Paris. Here you go. Here's, here's one dollar for you. And he gives away money. And he said the thing that's interesting about that, here's an evangelist who's given away money when often evangelists are, are saying, give me the money. So that's something that's a little bit unusual. He said when he was a younger man, he used to uh, 
he used to sort of uh, stage a funeral. So he'd get his friends and he'd dress them up in uh, as funeral directors and then they'd have a coffin on the streets. And here he is, people starting to gather around. What's going on here? And he said, there's no better way to preach about death than when death's right in front of you. Uh, Paul Hinton has a son called Tom Hinton, who's a friend of mine. He, he stood on the streets once and I nicked this idea from him. And he had a box and inside it was five pounds. And he said, if you can open my box, uh, I will give you this five pounds. Now, I did it, but I made it 10 pounds. He is from Yorkshire, so uh, they are a little bit cheap over there. But anyway, you know, you can try that as an idea. Sometimes I'll stand there and I'll have a fishing rod with a bit of candy, with a bit of chocolate on the bottom of it and say, would anyone like to take it? So you're trying to create something that people just simply cannot ignore. And then once you've got their attention, you go to the gospel, you preach the gospel straight away. The third way to get a crowd is by getting a heckler. Now, when we hear the word heckler, we sort of a little shiver goes down our spines. We get a little bit nervous about that. But really, you shouldn't be frightened of a heckler. A good, solid, reasonable heckler will be your best friend. He'll do a better work than any evangelist at drawing a crowd because everyone likes to see this street preacher who's a bit hot under the collar, who's struggling with the questions. So it really is good if you can get a heckler. But again, you need to deal with him in the right way. You need to be gentle. As Vinnie mentioned before, a big smile is probably the best ally a street preacher can have. If you've got a big smile on your face, that's really the best way to deal with a heckler. So suppose a heckler, he shouts at me and he says to me, you know, if you were born in the Middle East, you wouldn't be a Christian. If you were born in Iraq or Iran, you wouldn't be a Christian, you'd be a Muslim. So then when that person puts that question across me, I say, excuse me, guys, did you hear that? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But did you hear what that gentleman said to me? I've never met this man before, but he said to me that if I was born in the Middle East, I wouldn't be a Christian. Now, in a moment's time, I'm going to answer that question. But what do you think? How do you think I would respond to that question? And as you're doing that, you're getting lots of people involved and you're involving them into your talk. But how do you get a heckler? So some people say, well, I'd love to get a heckler, but it's it's difficult to get one. Well, you want to sort of challenge atheists. That is really, I would say about 90% of the hecklers I get are atheists. So you want to challenge them, again, with a bit of tongue and cheek, uh, a bit of a cheeky way. So I might say something like this. Uh, are there any atheists out there? Mr. Atheist, Mrs. Atheist, I really would like to chat to you today. I've got a very hard question and I want you to answer it right now. Mr. Atheist, what would you think of me now if I said to you, Harry Potter is a terrible book? What if I said, Harry Potter is the worst book in the world, but I've never read it before? What would you think of me then? We'd say, read it first and then make a judgment. Please don't ever say the Bible is a load of rubbish without reading it first. And I'll give anyone who's not too embarrassed a portion of the Bible right now. You can take it from my hand. You see what I'm trying to do there? You're trying to put a challenge there and really involve them. Now, here's the key thing. The atheist will love to just argue and debate forever. People love to just debate in the flesh. But we're not there to win arguments. We're there to win souls. So once you've got your crowd, quickly move into the gospel. The devil will love to take you on on different rabbit trails. But we're there to preach Christ. We're there to preach the death, the resurrection Uh, the forgiveness that Christ offers and to preach repentance. If you've not heard Roger's first talk, make sure you go back and and listen to that on YouTube where he talks about Luke 24 and how we need to keep these components in all of our gospel talks. 
Okay, the fourth and uh, final method is my favorite method, uh, and that's the interactive method or uh, uh, the fly fishing method. So I don't know if you've ever seen fly fishing before, uh, but here you are. You've got this fisherman. He has a rod, and he scoots into the water, and then he pulls it out. And for a few seconds, back in, back out. And he's constantly pulling it out, hoping that a fish will grab onto that bait uh, and snatch onto it. And that's what I like to do. I like to throw out lots of interactive questions, lots of sticky questions until someone bites onto that question and I get that interaction which really sets an open air talk on fire. So I might say something like this. Uh, you see this celebrity, guys? Uh, do you recognize who that? Does any lady, uh, excuse me, sir, do you know who that is? It's Mr. T, you're right. Or I might say this. Ladies, I know you can't believe it. I know it's a, a little bit heartbreaking, but can you believe this? I'm a married man. What do you think? Do you think I've ever made my wife cry before? What do you think? You're nodding your head. You, you do. Now, I'm not going to ask you this now, but if I asked you, have you ever made someone cry? What would your answer be? I think you'd say yes. So would you be able to agree with me when I say I'm a sinner and you're a sinner? You would. But Christ, the good news is, came to die for sinners. Or I might say something like this. May I say something controversial now? You know, you're thinking of different ways to, to prep a question up and to get their, their attention. And here's one really big asset to the open air preacher. If you see a big group of teenagers, a big group of lads, it doesn't matter what point you are in your talk, you want to engage them. Because I reckon about 80% of the time when you include them, they'll stop, they'll listen. And then the adults, the quite cowardice in, in the UK, they'll hide behind the teenagers and then they'll start to listen to the gospel message. So at any point you say, excuse me, lads, uh, do you believe in God? You know, I used to work in a high school and they told me that the Bible is, is a fairy tale. Do you believe that, lads? And try and get their opinion across. OK, very finally, how do we end an open air? Well, it's really crucial. The best thing you can do is leave them with a portion of the Bible, with a John's gospel. So at the end of an open air talk, if I've got a crowd, I'll say, would anyone like to come and take a, a John's gospel from my hand? Completely free. Just come and take it from my hand. Uh, I'd really love to give you that. And, and often people do. They, they come and take it. Uh, and then also you want to notice who's been listening for a while. And if you notice a lady there, if you notice a man who's been listening, you go up to them and say, now, just be totally honest with me now. What did you think of what I was saying? And let them speak. There's a good rule, the 80-20 rule. Uh, let them speak 80% of the time uh, and then you listen uh, and then you speak 20% of the time. Diagnose the problem uh, and then hand it over to them and then you can uh, share with them effectively. And then one very, very final thing. Now, this is something I've done for years now uh, and it's keep a journal. So uh, every day when I go out in the open air, I write the dates, I write the weather down, I write how many people stopped uh, and then I, I write down um, what I did well and what I could improve on. So I'm constantly trying to, to better myself. And then most importantly, I write down the name. So here's a man from Iran who's in his 30s. Uh, and he asked me, how do I become a Christian? This lady, she's from Northern Ireland. She's backslidden. She asked me to pray for her. And over time, as you do lots and lots of open air work, the Lord will place certain people, certain contacts into your heart. And when you come to your time of prayer, when you come to your quiet times, that person from four years ago will come back into your mind. And you've got all of these precious souls who you can pray for and pray that the Lord God brings them to Christ. 
I'll pass back over to uh, Roger. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you listening. so much, Joe. That, that well, and Vinny and Joe, very, very helpful. There was a lot there, really, and I'm sure I don't know. Um, I've been trying to watch Janice and see where her eyes are going, and I think she is looking at the screen and putting things down. So I suspect Janice, there are quite a number of questions, but um, uh, let's go over to those, shall we, Janice? Okay. Um, first, for both of you, how frustrating is it for you at the moment not being able to be out in the streets right now? I'll let Vinny go first. Vinny, we can't hear. No, okay. It is frustrating, but you, there are other things you can do. I'm writing letters. Today I've been up to the place where all the dog walkers are in town with a big box, and it says on it, free Christian booklets, please take them. And at 10 o'clock tonight, I'll go back and see how many of the 30 have gone. So there are things you can do. But the joy of preaching is wonderful because Jesus says, especially, I will be with you as you preach the gospel. So you get a great sense of his presence. Joe? Yeah, it is frustrating. Um, At the beginning of the lockdown, I'm not going to, I don't want to come across false in any way. So I was kind of relieved uh, because I was just running around like a, a hen harrier. I was, it was crazy. So I kind of enjoyed it at first, but now I am getting quite itchy uh, to get out there. There's a place called Manchester near where I live uh, and there's somewhere called Piccadilly Gardens. And I've had so many fond memories where I just go out there and I pick people off doing personal work and say, sorry, could I just have a little chat with you? Would you mind letting me talk about the most important thing to me? and I just sit down and chat with people. And, and the last couple of days, I mean, like, I just want to go down and sit with people. And um, maybe I'll take a mask. We'll see what happens after <laughs> the lockdown. Um, can I ask you, sorry, Janice, but what legally, okay, we know there are people across the world and it would be very, varying, but in, in Britain, what is the, what is the law? Can, can you, we just stand up anywhere and preach or what, what is the law? Uh, well, first of all, Roger, you've got to decide the difference between public ground and private. And although we can preach in a democratic society, um, you've got to be very careful. So uh, I, I think you've also got to check about giving out booklets and leaflets because you just don't want to bring on trouble, you know, to your cause. So it is good to check it out. So uh, I, what, what I I've done... Vinny, can I give an example? That for example, you couldn't go into a shopping mall and preach because that is private property. But you might be able to go on the pedestrian precinct outside because that is public property. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. You, you can go where on these private places as long as you've got somebody there's on your side and giving you the permission. And sometimes they do. Uh, you may get a sympathetic uh, ear to what you're up to. But but I've found, Roger, in all my time. I've actually found only twice have the police ever stopped me. And I was able to say at the end of that in Liverpool once, I said, uh, and gentlemen, you need to listen to this because what we're doing is emptying the prisons and making your job easy. And they started to clap. (laughs) (laughs) Just on the public private, I like to, whenever Handel's Messiah is being performed anywhere, uh, I like to go to those performances and I have a tract on Handel's Messiah. I went to Leeds town hall and it's a very grand sort of entrance up the steps and I was at the top of the steps giving them out 
And the officials from the town hall came and said, you're not allowed to do that here because this is privately owned. And I said, can you have a look at the leaflets and just see what I'm doing? Because I think you'll be very happy with it. And they looked at it. They didn't read it all. They said, oh, all right, then. So it is true. We've, we, you know, really, I should have been on the pavement. But nevertheless, you know, if you ask, who knows? Roger, just the point there for everybody, really. It's pointless falling out with the authorities. Utterly pointless, I find. So sometimes you just say, thank you very much. Yes, I'll move along and then crack on somewhere down the precinct. Thank you. Sorry, Janice, I took your job. <laughs> uh, when you're out on the streets, how important is it that you look presentable and not off-putting? Appearance. We'd better go to Joe for this one, I think. Joe. Uh, I share the same barber as Boris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vinny, Vinny make, made, tells jokes that flies and wasps follow him around, but uh, he still gets a crowd. So I, I do think it is important. We are to be ambassadors of Christ. So we want to, uh, to look you know, presentable and neat and tidy. But if if you're painting beforehand and you get a bit of paint on your jeans or whatever, I, I wouldn't let that put you off too much uh, because God does use weak vessels. But yeah, as much as you can, try and shave, uh, try and look presentable. I am a bit sensitive to the preachers who go out in a, a full suit and tie uh, and with a trilby hat. And I just think, you know, come on, we need to just look uh, like we are normal people. Again, one of the tips Vinny taught me, I think it was perhaps the first open air I went to, he nudged me and said, the key to open air work, Joe, <laughs> is not to look like a Christian. Uh, and I think that's uh, really, you know, that's really the key to it. If, if we're all stood there with suits and ties and KJV Bibles, you know, uh, and, and tracts and leaflets, people are going to say, this is a bit of a setup. I'm, I'm not there. But if there's a big do, crowd. Do, of do you not, do you not carry a Bible? I do carry a Bible, yes, but I keep it in my bag uh, or we tend to have one that we take out. We have the same sort of bag we take out with all of our tracks in and there'll be a Bible snuggled in there. But uh, yeah, I just think it's good to sort of um, there's, there's a lot of technique and even the crowd, how the crowd stands. And if you can have lots of people who uh, don't who are just dressed normally and. Um, then I do think that that's very helpful at, at making people think, actually, what's going on here? There's a lot of normal people listening to this street preacher. Maybe he's got something to say. Interesting. On the first week when I was speaking, I interviewed Theo Fox, uh, who has a Dutch organ and he takes it into the centre of Skegness during the summer weeks. And uh, so the music is playing and he's standing by it and he, he gives away Christian leaflets. Now, he he dresses in sort of bright sort of showman's um outfit with a either a top hat or a, a, a he's very conspicuous but it just works for him because he's attached to that piece of as the, the, you know the dutch organ the the piece of entertainment that is is sort of softening people to him so it works but we don't i i think sometimes you know the preachers can appear a little bit disheveled and it's almost as saying our message is a bit disheveled we don't want to convey that but sorry janice again <laughs> How do you cope with people who are aggressive and just there for an argument and dominate the whole time? Mm. Um, well, I find them very helpful, Janice, because what I remember is a gentle answer turns away wrath. And I'll tell you why it's really, really gold dust, because those people will see a sermon, not hear one. How you respond to them. And mm. when they say, why didn't that lad blow up? You know, why didn't that preacher shout at him and it it, 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 it wound me up? Why didn't he blow up? And then you 
you get the, often they respect you then you see and you'll just uh, and then it is a visual aid as well and you say look ladies and gentlemen that man has just been effing and jeffing at me what do you think his mum would have thought about that hmm. and you see what i mean and i can use it to my advantage so but sometimes janice you're throwing your pills before swine you're getting nowhere and you've got to say you know god bless you and keep you as far away from me as humanly possible <laughs> i'm going to speak to somebody else <laughs> interesting uh, if you preach in a church you're not normally going to be fearful about how they might react do, do you do you get frightened when you go into the open air me or joe both go on joe i get more frightened in a church if i'm honest so uh <laughs> that's just uh that's just me yeah I, honestly i would rather have 60 uh muslims you know you know shouting their heads off at me throwing all these arguments in hyde park speakers corner than go and preach to eight old ladies in a church. But uh, we're all made differently, aren't we? So uh, that's me. I, I think, Roger, if you've got a quick wit, it helps. And I well remember the founder of UBM, Lance Pibworth, preaching in London. And some guy went for him publicly with a big crowd. And he said, uh, you believe in the Old Testament? And Mr. Pibworth said, yes. Um, are you telling me that a group of men called Levi's carried an ark the size of a football pitch through the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so it's, you know. You and, can, and what did he say? <laughs> he smiled, started <laughs> laughing. But he's got a quick, quick back to one day. He said, um, is every hair on my head numbered? What number's that? And Pibworth shouted, that's number one. Keep pulling, I'll keep counting. <laughs> so you can have a quick, quick one. Yeah. Janice. Joe, how do you answer the question then? If you were born in the Middle East, you wouldn't be a Christian. <laughs> That's a good question. Oh, good question, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a few ways you'd answer it. Uh, first thing, you just say, well, I wouldn't be me because I was born in, in the UK. So uh, that's one thing to mention. Another thing to say is, actually, I probably would more likely be a Christian if I was born in the Middle East. 250,000 people came to Christ from Iran in, in the last five years. So uh, that's a lot more than, than are coming to faith here in the UK. Um, so there's a few ways you could go with that. But then I'd ask him, so you, you're born in a Christian country. So are you a Christian then, sir? Does that mean that you're born again? Because if you're not, then is that the is that the uh, that basically makes your argument fall on the floor? Uh, but anyway, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about Jesus. You know. But Joe, so uh, it seems to me as if in your open air preaching, and I'm sure it's true of Vinny as well, but you've sort of brought it out a lot tonight. You ask questions, don't you? Yeah, that's the key. It really is. Um, people aren't used to to hearing a, a half an hour monologue like we are when we go into a church. They want to be involved. Uh, everyone thinks their opinion is is valid. We've all heard it. If you're from the UK, everyone's been calling Boris Johnson left, right and centre and they've all become politicians overnight. <laughs> everyone loves to share their opinions. So let them share their opinions. But you need to make sure you've got some answers ready. Uh, and also, as I keep saying, you don't want to just go on rabbit trails talking about this, that and the other. You want to get to the cross. Uh, and Vinny, you would often sort of pinpoint a, a passing by, a passerby, wouldn't you, and say something like, sir, what do you think? You, 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 you pick on people, don't you? Well, I don't pick on them in the sense of uh, nailing them. But if, for example, they give the impression they're friendly, namely they're smiling or at least they're warm or giving you a full face look. I, I might just say, what what would you say about this? And I present people with problems to solve. So I might say, um, just at Christmas, my mother died. And I said, I'm taking a funeral on Tuesday. Could you just tell me what I should speak on? 
Huh. Lots of people stopped. And, uh, yeah, there she is, a little picture of her. Penny, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. yes. you used the phrase, you are only one prayer away from heaven. Can you give an example of that prayer you would pray should somebody ask you to pray with them? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Thank you. Because I, I think that um, I feel that we're all being intimidated, intimidated to shut up and go home and hide away. But actually, we've got the the answer. So what I do, Janice, is I would say on a scale of one to ten, how serious are you? When I say that, they're telling me how serious they are. And then I say, now, what stops you today from becoming a real Christian? So as long as they say nine and ten, I feel I'm in business here. Yeah. If it's less than that, I'll say, look, I'll give you a little gospel of John. I'm here next Saturday. Come and see me again. Think about it. When my mum became a Christian, I remember um, she asked me a big question and I said, mummy, we'll have a prayer tonight. And I went up to her bedroom. It was 10 o'clock. And I wrote a really sort of repentance prayer, you know, to get three people saved on the same prayer, I think. But here's the point. I did it because I loved my mum, didn't I? And I didn't want it to be a phony or an half-baked conversion. And what was interesting was at the end of the prayer that she prayed, very simply, and I'll tell you the prayer in a minute, Janice. I said, Mummy, if you meant that prayer, if I meant it, of course I meant it. And I was so thrilled that she was telling me off because I knew it meant something to her. Now, when it comes to the prayer, let's get on with it. I simply say something, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. On the cross of Calvary, you paid for my sins. I want to leave a life without you. Please come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I will make you boss, Lord of my life and put you first. Now, I'll tell them that before they pray it. And then, you know, because all my probably 34, 35 years doing up now, I can only point to four people who become Christians. That, that I know. you know of. That yeah. you know of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of them about two months ago. Last question, Janice. Oh, OK. Um, well, I've had a few questions on this subject, so I'm going to ask it anyway. What's the best way to use women in the open air? Do you um, have women preaching with you? Or do you use them just to hand out tracts or have conversations? Um, how do you use your women colleagues? Who would you like to answer that, Janice? Uh, both of you would be good. Okay. Um, well, first of all, women are extremely precious and it's really important they feel used and can be used. The second thing is, I think my best open airs is when I've played into the hands of the team. So it's easy then at the end of my spiel, talk, presentation for, let's say, Mary, who's part of the team, to say, I'm with the team. What did you think of that? So the ladies have got a great opportunity there. Think about me and Joe going up to some lady listening. She's thinking, what are these two guys after? Mm. So you've got to remember that side of the work as well. Mm. And also, we definitely use them for sharing the stories, the testimonies. But sometimes they may be not like the public bit. And so we'll say, well, we'll put two of you up together. So they can sort of be nervous together. Fellowship of the nerves. <laughs> but Joe, I want to ask you specifically, would you have a lady 
you know, preaching in the open air. It's obviously a contentious issue and people will have different views. But what do you think, Joe? Personally, yeah, I wouldn't have a, a problem with it. Um, it's not a church. So uh, when we talk about Bible teaching, it's she's she's there to, you know, she's just as much right, really, to, to share her story. It's interesting, actually. We were at Hyde Park Speakers Corner once and um, Emma got up, my wife Emma got up to share a testimony and here are these fine speakers, all the best open air preachers in the UK have been preaching that day. And Dave Hardin, a pastor from a local church, went up to my wife and said, you were the best speaker of the day. So, uh, and I preached that day. So um, I think sometimes <laughs> our ladies are better preachers than us. So uh, let's not stand in the way. <laughs> well, they always look better than we do. But anyway. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all very, very much. Thanks. Um, uh, Joe and Vinny, they will stay around later on after the prayer time. And if you want to carry on talking, do. Thank